Hello and welcome to Beyond Top 10 Tennis. My name is Dr. Ashley Morgan-Burge and I'm your host. I am the author of 11 books, a CEO of 12 years, the founder of a startup set on data privacy. I'm an elite performance coach of over 18 years, having worked with athletes throughout Europe, the United States to Australia. And I think most specifically, I am the world's leading scientist on coach and athlete performance that has used tennis as a blueprint that uncovered and uncovers how to develop a top 10 tennis ranking. That's right, a top 10 tennis ranking. It's something I guess we never thought was possible. So we're so fortunate to be able to uncover this and it's a landmark finding. It's a first for the sporting world and most specifically for tennis players, coaches, even parents out there to get, I guess, a hold of. Uh, look, My work includes everything from mitigating injuries through to pathways to develop top 10 tennis players. And obviously with that, they're coaches. Um, I'm behind theories from the optimal performance theory, the V by Dr. B to the rule of transference. I've coined terms from the barrier breaker to the golden rule and a slew of others. And as has become custom in each episode, uh, we dive into one of my books and just really dig a little bit deeper and to share those additional insights to really nudge you closer towards that top 10 tennis ranking, irrespective of where you are on that journey. So on that pathway towards the top 10. And look, the book we've been focusing on is The Secrets to Optimal Performance Success, a comprehensive discussion on developing elite coaching and players and we've been focusing on this text I guess because it's one of my favorites and it is my first but there is there's such and so many important lessons that we can really pull from this and they are absolutely pivotal when we're looking at that pathway towards that top 10 tennis player and look today's episode it's a little bit different but I, I have said that before so you might not be too surprised but look, as always, buckle in and enjoy the ride. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, look, today's episode is on education and its role in aspiring athletes. And look, if you want to follow along, we're on page 145. And like I said in the intro, this has to be one of it is my, one of my favorite books because of the lessons in there. And look, it's it designed and was written, I guess, for everyone, whether you are that player or coach or you're that parent or guardian. Um, there are really those fundamental steps in here when we're looking at especially that pathway. But to get on that pathway and to stay on that pathway, we also need to be mindful of mitigating injuries, which essentially means removing injuries. We, we don't want to have that roadblock, then roadblock, then roadblock. And look, if you've had an injury, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, essentially it's you get that injury, you recover, and then finally you reach that peak level again, and then you get knocked back down with another injury. And that cycle continues. You get to that peak performance, and then psh, peak performance, psh, 
and it's cyclical and it's incredibly painful and disheartening um, when we're looking at that pathway because if you can imagine if if you stay at that peak performance without being I guess knocked down by an injury that peak performance goes to that next peak to the next peak to the next one and that's how we ascend towards the top 10 but if you are continuously being knocked down knocked down by these injuries and look it really doesn't matter how how big they are or how small if if it sidelines you if, if it derails you if it regresses your level of play that's what we're talking about ideally we we prefer the smaller ones and the ones that are really easy to recover from. But you may have uh, more substantial ones. And look, if you've been listening for some time now, thank you so much. I, I appreciate your support immensely. Um, obviously, if you're just tuning in, but th- thank you all the same. Um, but for those of you who aren't familiar, that from my background, when I used to play, this is what happened to me and why maybe you can hear I'm, a bit, I'm quite passionate about this because I, I really understand the pain um, and the heartache that's involved in that cyclical I guess derailment that happens over and over again when you reach that peak and that next peak and then you're hit back down and um, look and I've had everything from the small ones to the more substantial ones and when I say the more substantial ones I'm, I'm still carrying one today and I've been carrying an injury with my shoulder now for um, close to 20 20 years, which is incredibly alarming and concerning and and everything, I guess, you can imagine. And you have, I've been doing rehab in this world, whether it's, you know, training as that player um, and then obviously as that coach. And you might go, well, why do coaches train? Look, I'm a very big believer of that role model example and that every uh, coach out there should be setting, I guess, the example for that that player athlete um, who they're working with. So parents, please take note. Um, parents, obviously, you're also role models in that respect as well. But when we're, when we're looking at that coaching spectrum to that performance spectrum and, and building that, I guess, that optimal performance in play and in life that we talk about, it's really about, I guess, not only that role model perspective but and leading by example, but we want to mitigate and remove those injuries. And so uh, resonating with our players and athletes at that level of understanding so where I'm getting to is that I've been doing rehab whether it is in the scope of tennis or um, later as I got older I know that's a little bit ironic saying now but I transitioned from one sport to the next and when I say that, I dived in, I guess, headfirst into ultra running. Um, for those who aren't familiar, essentially, that's um, anything longer than a marathon. And But it's, it's quite an arduous sport. And look, by, by no means am I in the elite crop. But where am I going? Where am I getting here? Is that having a shoulder injury, I had to go, what can I do that's not going to cause additional stress on my shoulder and obviously running does not really doesn't really involve my shoulder and doesn't put uh, I guess stress in that respect 
And I think as that player that was doing rehab over and over and over again, it was almost a love-hate relationship with the, the rehabilitation process. And obviously that's what I'm talking about when we're talking about athletes and their conditioning and the strength training, etc. that's involved. And then obviously doing that rehabilitation process with your body um, that's involved, uh, which is absolutely key and fundamental. So I'm sharing this because I understand this as a player, as a coach, and also someone who still trains, who still puts the work in, and is still to this day, ironically, doing rehabilitation on some part of my body. And I think we really need to reframe that and reshape that. And this is where we're touching on, I guess, um, how the education proponent um, falls into play. It's really re-educating, I guess, our mindsets about if we choose to play a sport and reach a high level of play, a high level of performance and ascend to those optimal performance parameters, we still need to put the work in. And I talk about in my later books, and we will get there in the future, but I talk about that, that level of maintenance. And that's something when we're looking at players who are inside the top 10 and who stay there, they have that level of maintenance. We can look at athletes who don't get injured who unfortunately are in the minority. Now, when we're not talking about or referencing the, the accidental ones, and you know, there are players who have those freak accidents and they put all the work in, but it still happens. So we want to just remove that because th- those are things we obviously can't plan for or protect against. Well, we can do the best in building uh, robust frames, robust uh, um, bodies to, do our best to prevent that but I'm really talking about those overuse and the technical ones where we know we're compromising the body we're twisting I guess you know those those joints those ligaments in an unnatural way that compromises our performance long term and 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 that's where I guess a lot of my work's been around and remains around because as that player with even that shoulder injury for example we can and it's a very common injury unfortunately in tennis plays and especially through that developmental spectrum and for that I'm talking about anywhere between 11 12 years through to say 18 years of age athletes and obviously it happens older but when you are developing and you're going through that growth um, phase and stage you are more susceptible if those modifications are are not put in place and what I mean by that if if you are not taught to warm up your shoulder uh, properly you are more susceptible if, if you are not warming up your serve at, you know, that 20% and 50%, you know, that 70, 80%, before you get to 100%, you're more susceptible. If you are not taught the specifics of where that ball needs to go, for example, without compromising other parts of your body, you are more susceptible. Um, It's the same with where where your elbow is, where your shoulder is, where your alignment is, and obviously your follow-through, how your body works. We can get more complicating, obviously, complicating the kinetic chain to the biomechanics, etc. but we're not going there. 
Um, it's really about obviously simplifying this. And again, we, we get back to the education and that upkeep of our education and, and how this comes into play. And obviously the, the seven keys um, are absolutely uh, fundamental for that because it's, we're putting in those steps in place and obviously there's a there's a substantial amount of work behind this and again we're talking in the hundreds of thousands to get to this point it's a very different story if i was talking to you and said you know i looked at 10 players and and 90 percent of these players this happened and it's nine out of ten just on 10 players um that could tell you something quite interesting but you really need the big numbers um, and what we really want in the thousands and when, when you get into the hundreds of thousands that's almost unheard of that they're huge um, bodies of work and luckily I guess on this side when we're looking at obviously developing that top 10 tennis ranking we have that we, we have in the hundreds of thousands of those individual inferences which is incredibly cool and exciting from, from that perspective now when we really want to get i guess to, to the nitty-gritty of how that education um, evolves and or is uh, intertwined in, in developing this we really want to refocus on mitigating injury and how we go about that and having a really good understanding that it's not just about those baseline i guess techniques <laughs> it's not just about those developmental techniques and progressing them it's having a knowledge base around what can cause an injury what can contribute towards an injury how can i optimize performance whilst hopefully sidestepping developing an injury being mindful of that and obviously with that comes with i guess that that strength and conditioning that is uh, i guess continual it's continuous throughout a a player's athlete um playing cycle irrespective i think what level you're at if you are you know that 10 11 year old that's aspiring to become a professional athlete and you are obviously playing for more than one day a week more than two days a week for example the work needs to be done and we want to start small which is very important and making sure you're not overloading the athlete at an early age because more often than not you have like that 11 or 12 year old in the same group as that you know 15 16 year old and their bodies are at different growth phases that they do not have the same strength they don't have the same i guess flexibility and functionality of their body of their mechanics and when you give them the same program and you demand the same thing from them what's that telling you it's telling you you're, you're setting up that that younger player to developing an injury um, but you're also setting them up to compete against someone older than them, which, which is okay. That, that, that's, that's all. That's not what it's about. But it's like comparing apples to oranges um, from that perspective because you need to make sure the groundwork's done. If the groundwork is done for both and the modifications are made for both, then it's different. And we're not just talking about, obviously, a result. So the outcome of like a, a tennis match, for example, we're talking about the behind the scenes and what goes on behind the scenes to get a player to reach that 
that the next peak to reach that optimal performance and then that next optimal performance and irrespective you if you are 12 or you're 16 the modifications are fundamental uh, your strength is going to be very different from from that like 11 12 year old to that 16 17 year old and and it should be you should be progressing but if you have not started i think from the baseline if you were just starting and you're 15 that you know your framework could be very similar to someone a couple of years younger than you if they've already started and they've already been following the pathway for a few years already so it's it's really being i guess um, critical on one hand of i think you know those modifications and implementing those modifications to safeguard that athlete and for the parents out there um it was only recently that i was talking to um one of you so a parent the other day and it's almost common knowledge to say that injuries are inevitable and i was also raised with that mindset but it's not that that's not the case and for coaches out there players out there it's it's not the case if you are developing an injury there is a level of negligence there which is a really scary word but i get really serious about this because one i've been carrying an injury now for for 20 years that could have been avoided if that work was done but it's not so much about that it's obviously one sure it's a constant reminder in a way of how far my work has um progressed and gone and reached etc but it's really a reminder to say if you have an injury we can we can prevent that if you are an aspiring athlete we can we can prevent you being derailed if you are a coach wanting to progress your athlete towards the top 10 we can get there without the derailment the derailment the derailment and i touched on this in a in a previous episode and also a previous uh, blog post as well and essentially as touched on there's a reason why junior grand slam um, champions uh, all those players that are all the finalists more often than not do not replicate those results on the senior tour so we're talking about you know that 14 15 16 year old who may win the junior wimbledon championships the, the junior us open championships why that is not replicated on the WTNAW tours. Now, more, more often than not, those players become more susceptible to developing an injury. More often than not, those juniors at that level have a level of taping on them um, to prevent an injury and or to allow them to play with an injury. And we can remove that because obviously that's not everyone, but there is a way we can remove that by, by safeguarding the player whilst focusing on optimal performance uh, parameters. 
setting them up towards that that top 10 tennis ranking, building in that pathway to allow them to sustain that level of play throughout the long game, which we've touched on multiple times, which is that minimum, that 10 years of play that sets them up for the next 10. So again, if you're like that eight-year-old, that 10 to 18, which sets you up until you're 28. So that's like 20, that's a huge amount of time, but that's essentially the playing cycle for that player athlete. And if, if you do that right and you have longevity on your side, then you might be lucky for that extra 10. So that's obviously playing until say 38, which in a good way, we are seeing that more often um, we have seen in the last, I think, decade. Whereas in previous decades, that wasn't so much the case, but it shows us that the human body is capable of lasting with new newer technologies that have come out so we're talking obviously about rackets strings balls different court surfaces etc and the strength and conditioning the work that can be done to better safeguard the player but when we're looking at those players who are at those academies who are ranked or 800 in the world 500 in the world they want to progress towards the top 10 the work that needs to be done that's what we're talking about to get you there without being derailed all right so i'm going to dive into small segments of this chapter and share some additional insights okay so again if you want to follow along we're on page 145 education and its role in aspiring athletes it is commonplace and has become accepted in many sporting genres that if an athlete is performing well their academic success isn't a priority i mean after all they're on their way to fame and glory who needs good grades this is almost hilarious i i find it um and if you're listening i really hope you do too maybe the parents out there um players out there maybe you don't you don't as much but what i mean by this is that there is a correlation between obviously your academic standing and your ability to problem solve for example with your performances if your academic standing is neglected completely that actually has a correlation with your performance now there that's a very big generalization to be clear Uh, obviously there there are there are many many different approaches and obviously those teaching approaches and those modifications individualization approaches etc that needs to be uh, considered for that child that player that athlete for that to happen obviously if that child player is in an environment or in a schooling system that does not allow them to learn in the first place which we have been conscious of and aware especially in the last 10-15 years then it could be a detriment so that's a very different discussion in an ideal world what we're saying is that if that child play athlete does have the let's say a relatively optimal learning environment so a reasonable system where they can without those distractions so it is conducive for their learning and I think that's fundamental, so I'll say it again, an environment that is conducive to their learning. So positive, not negative. So when we have that positive environment that they are privy to, education becomes key. So paramount, that should be nurtured 
in the best possible way because there are correlations then with your performance. It is completely offered opposite if that player athlete child is in a non-conducive environment that is obviously the, the, where they do their schooling and it has a negative impact on them. Uh, that is completely different. That is not what we're talking about. And I really want to highlight that because unfortunately uh, that, that does happen. That That is probably not the rule these days. It is more common than we'd like to admit. So it's, it's even more fundamental for the parents out there and coaches and or guardians to be mindful that if that learning environment is not conducive, if there is an alternative, then by all means, if it is a viable alternative, please do consider that because we now know from that behavioural standpoint the negative long-term implications for that, which obviously branches off into other topics and other works. And even though my work does uh, revolve around uh, the behavioural to the psychological underpinnings to child development, that is we're different we really want to focus on that that pathway here because it's that is a very big amount of, of, of work there to dive into but what we want to focus on here is that the education in general and the grades in general and the subjects that could be your favorite subjects all the ones that could encourage you to problem solve and to really think um in a, a way that challenges you, that is not necessarily always your norm, can have positive implications for your performance. Unfortunately, this is all too common of a perspective for junior athletes and some parents. Irrespective of sport, if an athlete starts to show signs of performance success, typically the athlete is encouraged to keep training, train harder and reach the next sporting milestone. As a consequence, they end up spending less time on core learning aspects. And this is, I think, incredibly true for most, unfortunately. And I've dealt with my fair share of, you know, players, athletes, uh, children over the years who end up putting, you know, their sport first and the academic side second. Now, it's, it's really important to find that balance, but also on two sides, because again, I've touched on, on uh, in previous episodes that balance when we're looking at child development, which is applicable if you're under, especially 16 or under, right? And I mean, of course, it's applicable for older, but we touched on that identity relationship and if your sport becomes your whole identity. Now, if your sport is your whole identity within that developmental stage, um, you're essentially setting that child up for not success (laughs) and sure, they could achieve success uh, in their sporting life. But if they are not taught to disassociate, that there is more to life than their sport, if they do develop an injury, there is a more significant struggle when we're looking at your um, mental and emotional uh, well-being um, and those coping mechanisms in place. But we're also looking about when it's time you've reached the end of your playing career, um, whenever that may be, and the challenges there to begin that next chapter in your life. If your entire identity is around your sport and there's no other, 
there, there's a very significant struggle and this is unfortunately not spoken about enough in the sporting world and there are not pathways in place enough um, there are in the last I want to say five ten years it has become more prevalent although they're very um, minor, um, minuscule on that scale. And we really want to be setting up those, those our children, those our child, to that player, to that athlete up for success long-term beyond, I think, their, their sporting endeavours. So that's even why it's even more fundamental to allow education to also be balanced because it really does have a key. You may not see the relevance like right now, but trust me, relevance is after they finish playing, but there's relevance there when they do get those sponsorship deals and being able to negotiate and have those conversations. And you might think, whoa, whoa, my child's just 12 years old. They're just 15 years old. But you know what? It's setting them up long term. So the foundations that go into that, whether it's the math, the sciences, the English, and obviously being able to read and write and being able to have um, those conversations and to share ideas and to know what stimulates them, their, their mind mentally, and what doesn't really pique their interest and what they can really, I guess, focus their attention on. Um, and that could really challenge them further. And we, we know, I think, from that um, neuroscience perspective, which I'm not going to dig into, but we know the benefits, especially when we try different things. Um, we work on those, I guess, those weaknesses in, in that respect, and obviously our strengths. And we're looking at this from that mental perspective, but also that learning dynamic. So there is a framework there that obviously is conducive to building those um, optimal performances. So often, uh, or more than not, is the other side of a junior sports person, the biggest side of their formative years, the most significant learning tool they're exposed to, and the one thing that can teach them things that their sport cannot, their education. And that education, it, it's there. The sport does not teach them it, sport is incredible in so many ways, but it is not a replacement for that uh, your education. Now, again, it, it, it's very important to be clear that we're talking about that conducive, that positive education environment. If that is a, a negative and not conducive, then if available steps are there that you can look at taking, I would encourage you to do so because no child, if they're um, exposed to a negative uh, learning environment, um, can reach their, I guess, their, their peak learning curve with that. Uh, every child is capable of exceeding towards whatever is their peak for them, but if they are not given, I guess, those tools, the environment to excel, that's obviously a very big discussion about you know, the disadvantage and why that happens. And we really need to be mindful that it's not a choice. And it's not, um, yeah, that, that's another, that's a, it's a very big can of worms I'm not going to get into. But it's, it's very important to be mindful when we're looking at that scope of education and the relevance and how it can empower our performance, that when we can put them hand in hand together, they really can benefit the athlete, that player as a whole. It is arguable that sport teaches certain things that a classroom cannot. 
This is something I agree with in its entirety. Perhaps slightly biased, but through sport, the lessons that are inadvertently learned by interacting with peers outside the typical school, social group, the discipline required to commit to a routine training schedule, or simply the general health and well-being associated with sport participation, to name merely a few life lessons are all beneficial in the real world outside the classroom. And I think that is so incredibly um, powerful that we really want to probably finish on here because when, when we're looking at the lessons that we can learn from sport, it is exponential. Though there is no comparison there when we're looking at the classroom because that is a different learning environment, so a different learning structure. Now, again, some children are going to excel in, in one or the other or both, but they really can in both if those modifications are made, and, and that's really what it's all about. The most exciting part about finding how to develop that top 10 tennis ranking, it's really also saying... Um, one of those one of my theories coined is the rule of transference which really touches on how we can transfer developing that top 10 tennis ranking in life which this the seven keys so the seven keys to optimize my life is i it just shares how because even though it's obviously premise is tennis and uses tennis in that respect it also goes if we know these lessons in tennis we can amplify our performance in tennis. We have this roadmap that we really know that that's backed by the data. We know it's, it's, it's backed by the science. It's just, we know this, but we also know how we can transfer this to achieve optimal results in other sports, whether it's basketball, netball, cricket, swimming. We know how you can do that. And tennis, above all else, has been used used to fuel that, which is incredibly exciting and powerful for all the tennis lovers out there. That is, in the best possible way, something our sport has been able to afford us. Though, when we look on a more broader scale, we go, the lessons we can also learn from tennis and in life, they they help us exponentially. Though, we can also argue then that when we look at our education structure, that, that framework, so our schooling system, how we can transfer that into our sport. Now, I know that's a, a play on words and a reversal there, uh, hopefully in the best possible way. But what it we know and that says is that we can optimise our performance even more so when we have that conducive environment. And that is why it's so pivotal to have that uh, that learning environment that works best for you. Um, so if you are a coach listening, you know what works best for you. You, if you're that parent and or guardian, you know what works best for you. For that player athlete, you also know what's best for you. You're, you're still finding that out, I'm sure. If you've already found that out, that's sensational. It could change, but that's, that's wonderful. Work with that. But it doesn't mean just sport. It means if you have access to um, leveraging and, and benefiting that structure that benefits you the most, then why not? Because 
if that also is going to excel that learning curve from the educational standpoint. And we know with the rule of transference, how that transfers then over to amplify them your performance not only in tennis but then in life itself and I think that is a really cool I guess um, a touch point we can finish on because I think there's no greater lesson than if we can take those lessons from tennis and transfer them um, also in life when we're looking obviously um, how education can impact us and affect us in positive ways and especially when we're looking at developing that top 10 Thank you so much for listening today. Um, look, to grab a copy of uh, The Secrets to Optimal Performance Success, head on over to AM8 International. That is am8international.com. Uh, for any comments or questions, head on over to AM8 as well or Topic Thread. That is the only social network I'm on. I will leave all the links in uh, the episode notes. Um, for something a little bit different, uh, my fictional release is on Pink Octopus Books. So so those links are also in the show notes. Um, if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, like, follow. That'd be absolutely phenomenal. If you loved us enough, five stars would be sensational. But please do reach out to us. Beyond Top 10 Tennis is now on, whether it's Threads, Instagram, Twitter, Medium to TikTok, come and say hi and that would be absolutely wonderful and, and feedback there as well is sensational and look if you are listening to us on Spotify you can access our polls to questions that we have each and every episode and I personally will be looking at them and they would be wonderful also to address and they really help us shape future episodes so I think on that note <laughs> I am so grateful for you tuning in thank you so much I really hope you know you've got those gold nuggets out and those key takeaways Uh, thank you so much for tuning in and look as always i'm your host dr ashley morgan burge this is beyond top 10 tennis and i'll see you next